So guys, when you were on your trip, oh, did you see any warning signs? Hopefully you didn't see anything like this, uh, radioactive fallout. Um, but anyway, did you see some warning signs while you were on your trip? Anything? You did see some? What were they? No motors beyond this point, or you might get zapped. No, anyway. But yeah, th- some warnings. Uh, there were going to be fines or whatever because the rules are they want to keep that a natural, uh, natural place. Um, you know, all of these. Do you see any of those? Some of you work at Agco. You might see some like this. Keep hands away from moving parts. Um, you know, if, if you work, there was one. I didn't put it on. Oh, yeah, ear protection required. Um, what was that? You know, um, how many of us, when we hear these warning signs, do we're like, oh, I haven't worn ear protection before. It's not a problem. And your wife says, Oh, yes, it is, right? Uh, Anyway, um, even better yet, or worse yet, how many of you go to the doctor and the conversation with your your husband or wife or friend afterwards is is like this? So what did the doctor say? Well, he says I have a problem like high blood sugar. Oh, what are you going to do about it? Go see a different doctor, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Do Do we sometimes like those warning signs in our life? We don't always, do we? And uh, I was doing a, just a, read a little article here on, on how hard it is at times to follow doctor's orders and or even how many times we just plain choose not to. Uh, but it says here that, that noncompliance, uh, they do studies on this, and uh, even, even teaching doctors how do you how do you doctor people in ways that help them comply with what advice you give them? But they said noncompliance across the U.S. is estimated to waste $300 billion every single year because patients don't follow their prescribed treatments. And uh, they said often it ends up because they end up in the ER, they end up with a prolonged hospital stay, they end up with complications that cost way more to deal with, than the initial problem itself. And um, one of them, I've recently been to the doctor, and uh, I found out I have high cholesterol. And it's like, well, I don't feel like it, (laughs) right? I mean, what are the symptoms for high cholesterol? I don't think there's any. I read a story once of Marines on a Marine base. I mean, they were in the best physical shape of their lives, and uh, they were... They, they, they did, like, I don't know what they call it, angiograms, where they put the dye and they test. And they had, like, 60% blockage in their arteries because their diet was so horrible and high in saturated fats and things like that. Even though you're in good shape and you feel like you're as strong as an ox, I don't feel like that, but uh, wish I did sometimes. I'm over the hill now, so uh, anyway, but y- you don't see that, do you? And it is hard at times to comply when you don't see these immediate symptoms. And these chronic illnesses like diabetes, like high blood pressure, uh, like uh, high cholesterol, you don't always see the effects. And it's so hard because it just seems hypothetical. It seems like this imaginary thing. Now, I think if you have high blood sugar, eventually you start seeing the symptoms and you start feeling the effects. The same is true. High cholesterol, eventually... Uh, there, there are issues that you can start developing. Um, but 
oftentimes we don't notice it. And, uh, and it's interesting in how they encourage doctors to deal with it. It's actually good biblical advice. Um, and so we're going to talk about that today, not in how to deal with these warning signs, but the reality is there is a warning in Scripture, and it says this, be aware, brothers and sisters, be aware, warning, that there isn't within any one of you an evil and unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 and 14, and, and we're going to see a little bit of this warning, and, um, and I just want to give you a little bit of a, a snapshot of why I, I chose to address this today, and uh, kind of as you pray for me as your pastor, uh, just some of the deliberating I go through is to say, Lord, what, what is it that we as a body need? And this is one warning that, um, that I have been confronted with before. I have seen the importance of it in my life in numerous ways and times and places. I have seen the benefits of heeding this warning, and, uh, and it's something that I think is just at the core of healthy Christian living, but because we don't always see the symptoms of it and, and, and dealing with it doesn't always provide just that immediate uh, gratification, we don't, always, we don't always take these warnings seriously. And, uh, and so I just want to encourage you to be aware and to take care of this and how important it is to deal with an evil and unbelieving heart that wants to pull us away from the Lord. Um, you know, as I share my story, um, I grew up in church and going to church on a regular basis. And for, for some of you, that's the case. For others of you, maybe later in life, the Lord did something to get your attention and draw you to himself. Uh, for others, he's maybe still working on you. And you're like, I'm not that far yet. But I just want you to be aware of, of something he wants to do in and through you um, for, for his glory and for your good. And uh, as we got connected, be, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a church. So to me, having a solid support network was just a part of life. And I would say life went well, so what's the big deal? Um, as I went to school, though, I was in a public school, and I didn't feel like I had a lot of that support network. Uh, I, I had a few Christian friends, but you know how it is with friends. Um, sometimes you just don't click, and so I didn't always spend a lot of time with them. I did some. Um, I had other friends who didn't follow Christ, and we connected in some ways. Uh, there were common interests and we would hang out and so but I began to sense that need not just for friends but for for people who really would support you and walk alongside you and I would say honestly through high school I didn't really have a lot of good friends in junior high I had a few and they seemed to move away every year so I just kind of said okay that's too painful to deal with all the time so I'm just gonna kind of keep them at a distance uh, but when I got to college and I went to Bible college and again, it became obvious that there were people who wanted to follow the Lord. There were people who just were kind of going through the motions. And it's like, okay, who is it that's going to come alongside? And really, do I want to hang out with and build into? And, um, and I was blessed with some great friendships. We went off to seminary. Uh, the challenge with, with my wife was she wasn't going to class every day with me. So we found a church. And we got connected in our two years in Indiana 
I would say we developed such amazing friendships. I still am blown away by the, how short of a time span we were there, yet how good of friends we had. Uh, and I realized, I realized that, that in a way, this warning, take care, and the solution for it, it says, because don't, don't uh, allow this evil, unbelieving heart in you that falls away, but it says, encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today. So none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And, and this, this daily, regular encouragement to us was so life-giving because we were now far from home, far from you know, the friends and the support network that we had, and we were on our own, and God provided that. And, and as we came now uh, to Mountain Lake, as we come now to Jackson, um, that's one of the things that I just see as, as neat and amazing is how God seems to be bringing those people along uh, just to build in and encourage. And we can't get through life on our own. We need encouragement. And so I just want to invite you in. And as elders, one of the things we see as a church, and this is a need that we as a church have, is we, we gather on Sundays for worship. But there isn't a real strong uh, structure or network of whether you want to call it small groups, you've called it connect groups, in the past, some have had Sunday school classes, but, but of gathering together, not just to learn uh, more information about God, but together to walk alongside and build each other up in the faith and really begin to say, hey, let's apply this. Let's live this out. Let's go out and serve each other or serve you know, our community on mission together. Uh, we need those groups. And so um, I want to invite you after the service, uh, we're having a time of, I think, a time of fellowship and coffee, but then after that, um, join us for a time of prayer just to say, Lord, guide us. What's this going to look like? How do we develop these, uh, this encouragement and disciple-making groups that, that bring people together to encourage each other day after day? Um, so be praying. Uh, but I'm going to go back now, and I just want to unfold this. And kind of give us a vision for what God is calling us to as we move this direction. And even just to pray, Lord, do this within us. Because it's not an easy, it's not always a comfortable, it's not always a fun process. Much like the doctor telling me, you know, Nathan, you have high cholesterol. And you've got to do something about it. And I kind of say gulp, you know. You know, seven years ago when I had my blood test, it was this high. You know, it was just above average. And I knew I needed to get it tested again. And I got the news, you know, now it's, it's up here, you know. And it's like, oh, crud, you know. And, and whatever I thought I had been trying to do, was it enough? No, it took more intentionality. It's going to take more purpose and maybe even some specific medication to say, hey, You've got to deal with this. And I want to invite you in to say, hey, we as a body, uh, there's a lot of great things going on. But as we, as we read God's word, he's inviting us into something deeper and something more. And, and let's just dig in and see what this is. So he says, take care. The warning comes that there not be in any one of you an evil and unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. This is where what the warning is and what we're looking out for and need to encourage in each other is to watch out for an evil, 
and unbelieving heart. An evil and unbelieving heart. And um, at the core of all evil, when we choose not when we choose not to follow God's way, but to turn against it, at the core of that, it's not, it's not always, it's, it's usually what it is, is a lack of trust. And this is where it's an unbelieving heart. It's saying, and this, you go clear back to Genesis chapter 3, and when God was in the garden, he created Adam and Eve, and everything he laid out before him, what was it? Was it, was it bad or was it good? I mean, obvious, quite obvious answer. It was good. God looked at all he created, and he said, behold, this is very good. But even in the midst of the garden, he made the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where, and he said, don't eat from it, because being created in God's image for a relationship, that relationship needed a genuine choice. He needed to give us a decision. Will we trust God and live in relationship with him, or will we say, no, I'm going to do it my way. I think I know better than you what to do. And, and, and this is at the core of all sin. And Satan comes in, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I did put these on the board because I, w- I want you to be in Hebrews. Um, here's it says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? He begins to raise doubt. Did God actually say this? And that doubt begins to lead to, like, tempt us. Do I, can I believe God? Can I trust him? Like, does God really know what's best for me? And, and listen, when Satan, tempt, when he causes doubt, often he creates that doubt with, with a twisting of the truth. Because what does he say? You shall not eat from any tree in the garden. Is that what God had said? They couldn't eat from any tree? No, God didn't. In fact, God created... I want to say millions of trees for them to eat from. There was just one that he said, don't eat from that tree. He created doubt. Not only that, he said to the woman, you will surely not die. This is an outright lie, a denial of the truth. He distorts it. He denies it. And and we have a choice. Who are we going to trust? Now we have competing stories of what, of what, is true or what what actually is going to happen god said in the day you eat of it you will surely die now the serpent says you will not surely die who am i going to believe for god knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like god knowing good and evil he begins to tempt us and distort the truth and 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 try to appeal to our flesh and our pride and our lusts that, that we would be like God, that it's good. And, and the question is, and at the core of all evil, the question we have to answer ourselves is, who am I going to trust? And so as we choose whether to turn from God, and, and it says to fall away from the living God, at the core of that is this unbelief, this doubt, this saying, you know, God, I don't think I can trust you. But at the core of God's work in us, and this is the whole point of his sanctifying work, is God is saying, you can trust me completely. In everything, you can trust me. And I know that your heart, you're born in sin, and we're born bent not to trust God, but to 
to protect ourselves and to do what we think is best. And, and, and we, so we aren't following his ways, but he says, no, I, what I want to do is I want to sanctify you and set you apart from, from all evil. And it comes as you learn to trust me completely in everything. This is God's sanctifying work. In Hebrews chapter 12, these verses have meant a lot to me over the last few months. It says that, um, that we are to lay aside every sin and the encumbrances that entangle us and we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. And who is he? The author and the perfecter of our faith. What's his work? He's the author of our faith. And, and so there's times, and the title of my message is, Help My Unbelief. Because there's times we're just like, Lord, I don't believe. I need you to help me. And, and in fact, this is a story, I think, from Luke chapter 8, where it's a story of Jairus, who says that, Lord, help my unbelief, because he comes to Jesus, his daughter is sick, and he says, Lord, you need to come and heal my daughter, and Jesus says that if you'll trust me, it'll be okay. And he says, well, I trust you, but help my unbelief. And there's this tension of saying, I trust you, but these temptations are there to pull me away from completely trusting you. And he says, help, and we all need that help. We all need that help. And this is God's work. He's the author of our faith, that we trust him, and we are now justified, and we're set apart because we believe that Jesus is the one who makes us right with God. It's his sacrifice. And I can trust him to give me eternal life, but now the question is, can I completely trust him to live his way in this life? And he says he doesn't only want to just begin our faith, he wants to sanctify us and perfect our faith. Will we trust him in everything? This is his work. In Romans 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the good news because it's, uh, it, it's for, and I'm trying to memorize this. I'm going to have to look it up. Uh, it's, it's for salvation uh, for both the Jew and the Gentile. Let me look it up before I totally butcher it. Um, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, who has faith. It's for everyone who's willing to believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's not just for those religious people. It's, it's for the, the, you know, the dirty, rotten sinners. I mean, anyone, all of us, we all come on the same grounds, not because we are righteous, but because we know Jesus is the one who's righteous. He's the one who pays the penalty for our sin. And we have to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I need you. But then he goes on to say, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. In other words, his goal isn't just that we are saved by faith, but then that we live by faith. Every day now, I can completely trust him no matter what's happening in life. And this is, this is Satan's work against God's work is he wants to pull us away. You can't trust him. Don't believe it. God doesn't have your best interests in mind. That's what Satan wants to say. And God reminds us, no, I've created you. I love you. I, the plan that I have for you is the best plan. It's better than you can ever ask or think. I love you so much. Will you walk by faith in a manner worthy of this calling? And trust that my ways are best. And there's this battle. 
Can I trust God or not? And often it starts small. Have you ever seen Larry Boy and the fib from outer space? How small does that fib start? Yeah, he's a little cute little fib, you know. And, and it's this story of how big they grow. And, and, he, and this is the warning. Beware, because once you start down that path of not trusting God, until you're willing to deal with it, it just is going to suck you in more and more and grow bigger and bigger until he's this uncontrollable monster. But do you remember the solution in there? I can't totally, but I think it's when uh, Junior Asparagus starts to tell the truth. And as soon as he starts to tell the truth, what happens to that fib? And he's just this little guy again that they can get rid of. And so what's the answer? If unbelief is at the root and a lack of trust is is, um, what Satan's trying to do, how do we deal with it? He goes on to say, encourage one another day after day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. It's deceitful. Um, when, when sin comes in, if you go back to the garden, how did Adam and Eve respond to sin? Um, I mean, when, when God came in to the garden, what did they do? They went and hid. <laughs> Why? When, when sin comes in, we want to hide. We want to protect ourselves. We want to be like, I didn't do anything wrong. You know? Don't look at me. Right? Rather than saying, God, I... I did something horribly wrong. And again, can we trust God? Can we trust God? Sin tempts us to hide or to say, it's not my fault. She did it, you know. We want to blame others. And all of a sudden, you're dealing with hurt. You're dealing with wounds. Then you're dealing with fear. I'm not going to trust him again. He just blames me, you know. And all of a sudden, you're isolated and you're alone. And we're separated from God. We're separated from others. The hurt, the pain only grows. And we think we can get by with it. We think that, that this is the best way because if I deal with it this way, then I won't get hurt again. But in the end, it doesn't deal with the problem and it doesn't really solve the pain in our heart. I cringe at the story of King David as he won one day, in the time of the year when kings go out to battle, here he was on his rooftop. Distracted, not devoted to the Lord's work and calling in his life, but kind of doing his own thing, enjoying his own life, and he falls into temptation as he sees Bathsheba. And he then pursues that. He thinks, this is better than God's way. And all of all that's opened up as he chooses, and then once the problem is there, rather than dealing with it in a God-honoring way, what does he do? He he continues in his sin. Then trying to bring Uriah into it to a point where Uriah doesn't comply, so he ends up having Uriah killed. He's got murder on his hands. And he tries to hide it for months through the pregnancy, and then as the baby's about to be born. Finally, God speaks to his prophet and says, go and talk to him. Hiding it does not help. It doesn't solve it. 
But the good news is this. When we confess our sin, what is God? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Read Psalm 51. The title to that psalm, even in the original Hebrew, is it's a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet confronts him after going into Bathsheba. Like, would you like to title a psalm like that that you write and then publish it for all the world to read? Why would he do that? He was no longer trying to hide. He was not going to let sin have its way. He says, I'm going to confess this. And you read about it. He says, he'll wash me with hyssop and I will be whiter than snow. He proclaims the Lord's goodness and grace. Sin is deceptive. It hardens our heart. It only grows the further we go. So how do we deal with it in unhealthy ways? We can hide it, but there's healthy ways to deal with it. And as David did, he was willing to confess it. Now, I don't know if we always need to stand up front and proclaim it to the world, but David, as a public figure who did this in the sight of the whole nation, I think that was appropriate. Because they all saw he was now, as his wife, was Uriah's former wife, Bathsheba. So there's, there's a level to which he needed this as the representative of the nation to confess it. But, he, but we're invited. We're invited not to hide it, not to stuff it, not to ignore it, not to blame others. But here it says to confess. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. When we choose to allow the truth to come out, to say, what? I'm sorry. It begins to tear down the stronghold of the enemy. And little by little, he has less and less power and less and less ground. But it is so deceptive, there's times we don't see it. We need someone like Nathan the prophet to come to us. And he says here in Hebrews, encourage one another day after day. We need people to help. So, will we allow God to grow our faith through our trials because we're willing to see where as he stretches our faith, we give in to unbelief and we're willing to confess that, to examine our hearts. And that's a good question. I was asked here recently, um, uh, the last several years by an individual, he said, you know, Nathan, how's your heart? And that's a very, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to, but you know what? Are we willing to say, well, here's how it is. Here's how it is. I'm struggling with this, or I've been tempted in that, or, you know, sometimes, no, I'm, I'm, I'm resting, I'm rejoicing, I'm, I'm confident in Christ. But he began, uh, he, the gentleman in my life began to encourage me to look at my heart a little bit deeper. Um, our tendency, and my tendency is, I, growing up in the church, being a pastor, um, I need to be a good example for everyone, so I'm going to put my best foot forward, and I'm going to let you see the good things, but I'm not always going to open up those, those hard things. But, but what happens is we live like that, whether it's with our kids, because do our kids see the areas we struggle at times? To some degree. They may not see every area, but they, they're 
pretty aware and attentive, right? Other people in the church, they see it. In fact, even people out in the world, there's times they see it. And they comments that are, well, the church is just full of hypocrites. Is, it, is the church filled with hypocrites because we sin? Or is it because we don't confess and admit to it? We try to cover it up and hide it. And we think, we think, oh, I'm, I'm fine. And the reality is, and this is part of the good news, is apart from Christ, how many of us are fine? I'm not. Apart from Christ, we're lost. We're stuck in our sin. And if we think, what do you mean? It's probably pride. It's probably a self-righteousness that says, I'm good. I'm good. I haven't done anything wrong. And, and we need to again examine and say, Lord, where is my heart? Because I need Christ. And the answer then to dealing with this unbelief is a willingness not to be deceived, but to open up and to allow encouragement, allow people to speak into our lives. Encouragement is essential for everyone. And so uh, here's what it says, uh, encourage one another. The word encourage is in the Greek, and I'm going to say it in Greek because there's parts of it in English we understand. It's parakaleo, and para is, is, the, is, a, is a word that means like to come alongside, and we use it in the word like parallel. And if there's two lines that are parallel, they are side by side. And so parakaleo is to call, kaleo is to call out and to come alongside, and it's like calling someone to say, come on, I need your help, or to call out someone saying, I'm coming alongside you and helping you see this. And the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete or the comforter or encourager. That is who he is. That is one of his names. He comes alongside, and he helps us to see, and by conviction, our sin. And he's not trying to condemn us to push us away from God and say, you're never going to live up to God's standard. You might as well just forget about it. No, he comes along and says, look, this is the direction you're heading. But no, God loves you. And is, he is the one who's going to turn you and give you all the strength and the help you need to go the right way. And we're invited to do this. The word of God is inspired by God and is profitable for what? For doctrine, for teaching, to to help us see what God's way is, and then for reproof, to say, look, you're not going that way, for correction, to turn us in the right way, and then to instruct us in righteousness so we have these habits that move us closer and closer to God. But that word of God comes through a messenger. It comes through a person who comes alongside us, and that's what, as elders, we see more and more the need to say, hey, I want to step into that role and I want to be that kind of a shepherd that's going to help come alongside people and help them grow. Not to condemn them, not to push them off, but to say, hey, let's grow together. Let's walk and let's, let's examine areas where we're not believing. Let's examine our hearts and where we need to grow. Let's, let's see where we're being tested and the trials of life are tearing us down rather than testing our faith so that we know we can trust God in everything. 
And, and that's where we as elders feel like, hey, we want to develop these, these disciple-making groups and a disciple-making culture where we are coming alongside and helping people grow, helping people turn more and more to Christ and to walk with him. And we can't do it alone. What is this Hebrew, uh, the author of the Hebrews, right? He says, encourage one another. It's not just the role of me as a pastor. It's not just the role of your elders. It's the role of each one of us. And how often is this needed? Encourage one another day after day, as long as it's called today. We never outgrow this need. It's not a one-time event where I turned them the right way and now they're going. My doctor told me I had high cholesterol and that solved my problem. Amen? If only, right? I'll admit, last night, I didn't stick to my diet. We were at a cross-country potluck. And, uh, oh, man, that's hard, isn't it? All this good food laid out before you that you've enjoyed before in a great way, and now it's like, I'm supposed to refrain? How about just minimize the amount of bad stuff, you know? Um, yeah, I, I ate some things that weren't the best for me. But I feel fine today, right? So it's okay. I mean, that's the temptation. Am I really going to believe that that way is the best for my heart? Because it's not always comfortable. As long as it's called today, it's not just a one-time thing. Our need does not end. In fact, Satan knows those areas we're weak. He knows those areas he can get us down or get us discouraged or get us doubting or, or, or distract us. And, and if you know in your life, you can probably think back to the times you've stumbled and you've said, okay, Lord, I'm sorry, deal with it. And all of a sudden, a few days, weeks, months, years later, here you go again. Lord, I, I, I apologize, I confess that. What's wrong with me? You know, And he says, you still need me. There is still this layer of unbelief that you want to, Try to get by and, and just let me do this work. Let me do heart surgery on you. And he says, encourage one another day after day as long as it's called today so that none of you will be hardened. In verse 12, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil and unbelieving heart. Um, who does this all apply to? All of us. He says, I don't want within anyone that none of you are hardened. Encouragement is needed by everyone in the body. And this isn't just for uh, me as a pastor. This isn't just for the, the elders. This isn't just for a few of those religious people who are, who are serious. I mean, it's for all of us. We all need this. And God wants to come and meet us where we're at. We want to come and meet you where you're at and just help you take a step of growth. At the core of this, is understanding the good news and our gospel identity. Read verse 14 with me if you have your Bibles opened. Mine says, for. This is the reason we do this. This is why it's so important. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. We become partakers with Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance when we are saved by faith, what is faith? Faith is being certain of something that's hoped for, um, 
being assured of something that we don't yet see. It's saying, God, I can trust you that you're going to keep your promise, and I can believe you. So faith is not doubt. Faith is trusting God's going to do what he's promised, particularly he offers us eternal life when we choose to trust his son to pay the penalty for our sin, and to give us what we don't have, which is righteousness. He says, you've got a problem called sin. I'll take that and I'll pay the penalty completely and fully, and I'll give you a righteousness you need so that you'll be accepted by God. And and when we choose to trust him, to put our assurance in him to do what he's promised, he gives us the gift of eternal life. And now, as we put our trust in him, he says now, we are partakers of Christ. But faith is something then, he says, if we hold fast, read it again, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Faith means I'm going to trust. I have a redeemer. And, And when I stumble and fall and I mess up, I don't say, oh crud, now God will never accept me. Well, no, he never accepted me because I messed up or because I did it right. He accepted me because Christ did it right. And I'm a partaker with Christ. It's his righteousness that is now mine. I'm going to hold that firm until the end. And as long as I'm holding on to Christ, can I trust him that he's going to lead me in the right direction? Yeah. Can I rely on him to help give me strength to go the right direction? Yeah. Are there times I'm going to stumble and fall? Yeah, but I'm going to say, no, Christ, I'm holding on to you. I'm not going to say, oh, crud, now I'm heading to hell. You know, We have an assurance that God will be faithful to do what he has promised to do. And we hold that firmly. And he says, don't, don't let unbelief, don't let doubt sneak in because are there times we feel condemnation? Are there times we let the shame come on us and discourage us and keep there are. And we need to be reminded. Hold firm. That assurance. You are a partaker of Christ. It is no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you. The life you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. And next Sunday, we're going to celebrate as partakers of Christ as we partake of the body, uh, of the bread and of the cup, which represent his body and his blood, that we are partakers of that. So, as a partaker of Christ, as someone who's heard the good news and said, yes, Jesus, I trust you, will you continue now, not only to experience the salvation that comes through faith, you're not ashamed of the good news, but this good news now is for all who believe that the righteous man would live by faith, recognizing the unbelief and turning to complete trust in every area. Dear Lord, we need each other's help in this because, Lord, I get deceived. Uh, Lord, I, I give in to my fleshly temptations to deal with, to deal with um, the trials of life in my own way, to try to escape them, to try to medicate them, to try to ignore them, to try to hide from them, to try to minimize them. Lord, I thank you that you are a good, good Father who continues to invite us closer still, deeper still, to know that we can trust you in every way. And Lord, may we as a body 
be able to care for each other's hearts. Not in a way that pushes people away because they're not good enough, Lord, because none of us are good enough. I need people to care for my heart. And so, Lord, help us as leaders to, to just give us wisdom. And, Lord, as we join together, even in praying and seeking you, and, and Lord, even uh, give, give wisdom through your people in how it is we can move forward in, in forming disciple-making groups that are eager of people who are eager and encouraging each other to follow after you with all our heart. Lord, we invite your spirit to work in us, to open our eyes to where we need this, and, and to provide. Lord, you are the one who provides what we need. And do that even in the brothers and sisters who now represent you in this body, that we as, as your family, Lord, can walk together closer to you, trusting you in every way. Thank you for this good news. You are God of grace and mercy who, who pours out abundantly your grace on your people. And may that flow through us to those around. In your name we pray.